The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Welcome to The Exchange, everyone. And on this Thanksgiving Eve, I'm Kelly Evans. Home for the holidays, the housing market is scorching hot with soaring prices, low supply, and homes being bought before they're even built. Are both housing and stocks getting a little too hot? We will ask. Plus, special delivery. Pharma companies are readying to ship vaccines. So how will the states actually distribute them? We'll speak with the governor of Nebraska about his plans as cases rise. And slacking off, the goose is cooked, hoarding credit card points and gapping down. It's all ahead in rapid fire today, but let's begin with the markets this hour. Dom Chu here with that for us. Hi, Dom. All right, there's no gap down for the broader market, but we are pulling back because why not? We did hit a record level for the S&P 500, the Dow Industrials, very recently. Of course, 30,000, that key mark for the Dow. But now we're pulling back by about a half of 1%, 151 points right now. The S&P 36.29, the last trade there, about one-tenth of 1% downside here. And outperformance today from the Nasdaq Composite, up almost one-half of 1%, 12.083, the last level there. Take a look, though, at what's happening with other parts of the macro market. We don't often look at the credit markets, but in this case here, with stocks at record highs, could we be due for more stress in the overall market? Well, two parts of the credit market say no. These two ETFs track both the investment-grade corporate side of things and the high-yield corporate side of things. And look here. We have seen no real downside moves in either of these ETFs that track these key parts of the bond market at all. So perhaps for the time being, a pullback, yes. A deeper cut for the markets, maybe not yet. And then the stock of the day. You mentioned it, slacking off. Well, slacking up today, you can see they're up by 25 points near the highs of the session, $36.86 because of that Dow Jones report from the Wall Street Journal saying that Salesforce might be looking at a deal to acquire them. And Kelly, I guess the point is maybe not out of the realm of reason. Salesforce, the second best performing stock in the Dow so far this year. Yes, it only went in in August, but still a 56% gain. Maybe it has some currency to possibly make an acquisition. A big move there. I know we'll be talking about it more in rapid fire coming up, Kel. Back over to you. Exactly. Save all your thoughts. Uh, Dom, thanks. And we'll see you soon, Dom Chu. Let's get to housing now with the new home sales report soaring versus this time last year. Diana Olick has all the numbers for us. Diana? Yeah, that's right, Kelly. And the monthly figures were basically flat because the previous two months were revised significantly higher. But sales of newly built homes beat expectations by a lot, up 41.5% year over year nationally to the highest pace since 2006. Sales strongest in the Northeast and the Midwest, but of course up everywhere. The median price of a newly built home continues to rise up 2.5% year over year to $330,600. Now, the big issue, though, is falling inventory, now down to a 3.3-month supply. That's down from five and a half months supply in October of last year. The home builders are facing headwinds from a lack of land and labor and material costs have been rising as well as supply chains slow due to COVID. All of that is showing up in a really interesting stat buried deep in this report. The number of homes that were sold in October but hadn't even been started yet 
up 67% year over year. That huge backlog is going to mean slower delivery times, and that will hit the builders' bottoms li bottom lines in earnings because they don't get the full payment until they deliver the full home. Kelly? Oh, that's a good point. I, I'm, the timing could be off, although I'm, it still reflects such strong demand, like you said. Diana, stay right there. Let's also bring George Ratu into this conversation. He's a senior economist for Realtor.com. George, what are the superlatives that you're watching uh, as it regards the housing market and, and trying to figure out just how long this momentum is going to last? Kelly, excellent question. And the truth is, it seems that housing so far as we knock on the door of winter, is still in the throes of summer heat. Um, what we're seeing really on the inventory side, demand continues very strongly, fueled by historic low uh, mortgage rates, fueled by savings. Think about all the people that have really worked from home for the past eight months. They've been able to save a lot of money from commute, from, from everything, from dry cleaning and other bills. A lot of that is translating into a higher purchasing power, and we're absolutely seeing that. We're seeing that on the existing side. We're seeing that on the new side. Inventory is at record lows across, across both um, uh, spectrum uh, of, the, of the market. And for me, when I look at prices, that's where I see a lot of uh, heat, right? Prices for new as well as existing. Realtor.com's listing prices uh, just this last week coming into the Thanksgiving week up over 13%. Uh, clearly, buyers are continuing to look for solution uh, to this social distancing remote work world. Right. And Diana, that's why I think it's interesting to look at the housing market and which way it's going to go when we start talking about kind of the reopening, the road to normalcy next year. You know, is it going to be a case where it's a, a Clorox and a, a Peloton and a Zoom where people say, you know, the, this was demand that was pulled forward and uh, they, there's going to be a hang, quite a hangover or not. I mean, we know that this has also changed the mentality for a whole generation of people who are renters uh, and now thinking about home ownership or kind of forced into the pool. And for those who, who maybe didn't get their home this year, they might be back in next year. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Look, this isn't like a piece of, you know, exercise equipment and you're saying, hell, I'm going back to the gym. No, this is a house. This is something that you're going to live in and that's your sense of security all the time. And I think a lot of people were really hit hard by that this year and it's not going to suddenly change next year. What I do think you're going to see is that prices are going to have to cool a bit and more supply should come on the market and that will help. But affordability is really key right here. If You may want a home a lot, but if you can't afford it, you can't buy it. What I do think you're going to see is as we get a vaccine, as you know, this starts to look a little bit in the rearview rear mirror, you'll start to see people heading back to the city a little bit, perhaps bargain hunting. I'm already starting to hear that from real estate agents saying, you know, we saw everybody flee to the suburbs, but there are some shoppers in the city looking around, seeing what the prices are, and they will get back into that market. I don't think you're going to see overall demand for housing drop because the demographics are just so good. Millennials having children, wanting to buy houses, and this pent-up demand, it wasn't just from the spring, it was already there before. So we need more supply, we need prices to come back a little bit, but I do think demand is still going to be strong next year, especially if mortgage rates remain this low. 
Right. And I, I know that's a factor as well, but no one's talking about them going to levels that would suddenly change the equation, I don't think. We'll leave it there with a, a big thanks to you both today for talking about this phenomenon. Diana Olick and George Ratu of Realtor.com. Let's turn to the markets. Just like housing stocks are also red hot right now with the major averages on pace to rally more than 10 percent each for the month. But it's not tempering enthusiasm for this rally. In fact, bullish sentiment is super high right now. The latest II sentiment reading showing the highest bullish level since January of 2018. You may recall that was right before a steep sell-off. The latest CNN Fear and Greed Index is back near the prior highs we saw at the turn of the year before the COVID bear market. So are these warning signs? Joining me now, Lindsay Piexa is chief economist at Stiefel, and Alan Boomer is chief investment officer at Momentum Advisors. Welcome to both of you. Alan, I'll start with you. Uh, just, just kind of pick up that point about stock market sentiment. Does that make you cautious? I'm not that cautious. I mean, here's the things to worry about. I do believe the market is really priced to perfection. I believe the market is very excited about politics today. The, the market gets to sort of have its cake and eat it too. We get a steadier hand at the presidency, but we have a divided Congress and there's a, a big chance that that Congress stays divided after the Georgia runoff election. And so you, you don't get all of the socialism that could possibly come with, with a democratic regime, but you do get hopefully bigger stimulus and less tax. There are a lot of positives in the market today. I do think the market's priced to perfection, though. It's still priced in. I think the vaccine is priced in. And certainly there's some reason to worry about those, act, those, those items. And Lindsay, let's turn talk about the economy and kind of the fundamentals that have been underpinning this, because so far uh, the stock market's rise has been corroborated by the rapid drop in unemployment uh, and the strong GDP rebound that we've seen. Where are you on the economy next year? You know, we talked to Mike Farola yesterday, J.P. Morgan. He says, yes, they're looking at a negative first quarter, but he wouldn't rule out boom like conditions in the back half in a post vaccine kind of post next covid bill environment. Is that you think going to ultimately help explain why the market's been doing what it's been doing this year? Well, I think right now there's two very clear diverging themes for the U.S. economy. Uh, on the one hand, we do have to recognize that growth rebounded at a stellar pace in the third quarter, more than offsetting the decline in the second quarter, at least in percentage terms. We've also seen a very strong performance in housing, as we just heard, manufacturing, in auto sales, but we're already beginning to see waning momentum on the part of the consumer. Retail sales at a multi-month low, and as we saw this morning, consumption also falling to a month, uh, excuse me, multi-month low. So really setting the stage for increased pressure on the consumer. Now you layer in increased risk of additional restrictions or lockdowns as we see the number of COVID cases rising. And even if it's a lockdown light scenario compared to what we had back in April, this is likely to have a devastating impact on overall growth as consumers, workers, businesses are already at an extremely fragile position after months of hardship. So going forward, depending on the depth and duration of the second round resurgence, it's very likely that growth slows significantly going into the new year and potentially falling back into negative growth, so setting the stage for a second round recession. Yeah, no, I, I mean, you would, let's you, how likely do you think another recession is? Because again, mathematically, I, I take your point on, you know, what could happen for first quarter GDP, but it doesn't have, you know, if that's what we're predicating recession on, you know, it doesn't feel like anyone's convinced yet. 
No, I don't think anyone's convinced yet, especially because optimism right now is focused on the possibility of a vaccine. We're focused on the op optimism of Chair Yellen potentially running the uh, the Treasury as opposed to a, a more yeah. controversial uh, leader uh, such as Warren. So I, I do think that right now we're focused on the longer term prospects for the U.S. economy. And absolutely, longer term, we do expect the U.S. economy to recover out of this pandemic. But we do have to remember that a lot of these variables have been pushed to the end of the year. Federal assistance is expiring, uh, forbearance opportunities yeah. is expiring. All of this is going to compound pressure, which we haven't necessarily seen filter into the numbers in Q3. Yeah, no, fair enough. Uh, fair enough. And that's why I find it interesting that it is juxtaposed with this bullishness on the market. So, Alan, let me close by turning back to you with some of the ways that you would recommend investors uh, get exposure to the market here. And there are a lot of the value plays. Is that right? Yeah, I think that when you look at 2020, it really was the, the growth stocks. And, and in particular, it was the, the, the Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, Google trade. There's a lot of companies that are trading at really, really low valuations today. And if you think about 2020, it was really dominated by a handful of stocks. There's 495 other stocks in the S&P 500 that, you know, some of which are very correlated to the vaccine news, very co correlated to an uptick in the economy and very, very inexpensive. Like I look at a stock like Verizon, which is really just a steady eddy in terms of producing earnings and revenue. And that stock is trading at a 12 times earnings, next year's earnings, when the market's trading at 21 or 22 times next year's earnings. So there's a ton of value if you're careful and if you, you have the patience to look through uh, to, to find the value. You know, Verizon, another example, 4% dividend yield in a world where yeah. the treasury yields less than 1%. That looks really attractive. Yeah, you got to have the courage to step away uh, from some of the big cap tech names that have been doing so well. Alan Boomer, Lindsay Piegg said thank you both today. Appreciate it. Share your thank thoughts you. on this market and the economy. Coming up, states are getting ready to face a new challenge when it comes to COVID-19. It's distributing the vaccine. We're going to ask Nebraska's governor about their plans for that as cases rise. And we'll speak with one mall developer who says consumers are still buying in store. We saw it in some of the earnings reports earlier this week, but they are doing it in a much different way. We'll have the latest in what that means for the holidays ahead on The Exchange. This is The Exchange on CNBC. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with P. Jim, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to The Exchange. COVID cases surging in the U.S. as people prepare to celebrate Thanksgiving. One of the hardest hit states right now is Nebraska, which has a seven-day average of about 1,700 new cases and 974 hospitalizations, which is a new record. Nebraska now preparing for a rollout of a vaccine to curb the pandemic, but Pfizer's cold storage could prove to be a big challenge for rural areas. Joining me now with more on their distribution plan, Nebraska Governor Pete Ricketts. Governor, it's great to have you. Welcome. Great. Thank you very much for having me on. 
How quickly uh, do you think people in your state are going to receive this vaccine? Which vaccine are they getting and uh, who's getting it? Well, according to the reports we're seeing right now, Pfizer has turned in their information to the FDA. And if the FDA meets on December 10th and approves it, it could be as early as uh, getting shipped to us, maybe December 12th. And that's the one, of course, that has to be kept ultra cold. It will, my understanding, be shipped directly to hospitals. But of course, that works out because our healthcare workers are the people we're going to be prioritizing first to get the vaccine. And then with regard to distribution across the state, we will work uh, with regard to making sure we can uh, get it to places where it can be distributed and still kept ultra cold and just, you know, used quickly so that the vaccine stays good. So who's picking uh, the vaccine recipients here? Is it the federal government telling you guys or do they say, you know, they tell you some portion of it? Do they leave it up to you? Do you then leave it up to local officials? How's that work? Yeah, so it's really a collaborative process. The CDC has issued guidelines with regard to who they think should be prioritized. We at the state are working on our own plan, which really closely mirrors the CDC plan. I mean, it makes a lot of sense, right? You want to start with long-term care workers, healthcare workers. The people are going to be interfacing directly with people who are coronavirus positive. So get those people the vaccine first, and then we'll be rolling it out to, uh, you know, moving beyond just the staff at long-term care facilities to the residents who may be more vulnerable, uh, to first responders, uh, other folks who are going to be in that more vulnerable category. So what we're going to do is create our own plan based on the CDC guidance and then work with our local public health officials to be able to actually execute that plan on the ground so that we really be our local public health people putting it into place in each different community, but with the guidance from the state and the CDC. How many doses do you get? Is it based on state population or state need? And what happens if there are healthcare workers who choose not to receive theirs? Yeah, so we are going to be getting it, we were told, on a per capita basis. So we'll have to obviously wait and see. If you, uh, you know, think that there's going to be 6 million that get initially done with Pfizer, that would be roughly 38,000 would come to Nebraska. Uh, we will then send that to the hospitals and so forth to be able to distribute that. And with regard to the healthcare workers themselves, if they are choosing not to get the vaccine, that's really going to be a policy issue for that individual hospital to deal with. That's really not going to be something we at the state are going to intervene with. And I wonder, as we look at the COVID cases that you have now, are there any regrets about not doing a statewide mask mandate uh, sooner? You know, and I, I ask the question, knowing that, that the outcome state by state does not seem to be directly correlated to whether these mask mandates are in place, but is more complicated than that. So, uh, that said, knowing what you know now, would, the, would it have been useful to say to people, you know, even a month ago, two months ago, you know, hey, it's time to get this going? Well, we have uh, directed health measures that do include requiring masks in businesses where you have staff and patrons that are closer than six feet for 15 minutes, which is really the appropriate use of a mask, right? If you're going to be closer than 16, six feet for 15 minutes or more, you ought to be masked up. And so we've got that in our DHM right now. And so the steps we have taken have really been based upon the information that we have uh, at the time we had it. So, uh, you know, we are taking those steps to be able to slow the spread of the virus here in our state and really trying to strike that balance to make sure that we're uh, preserving our hospital capacity. Uh, our hospitalizations actually are down today from uh, the number that you gave at the outset earlier. And uh, they've really kind of leveled mm -hmm. out for the last week. And so we're hopeful that that maybe is a plateau and that we don't see them going back up. But of course, we're urging people at Thanksgiving to celebrate in small groups so we don't so we can slow the spread of the virus here.
Yeah, I know you're near that. I think a 25% threshold uh, for hospital room uh, usage by COVID-19 patients trying to stay below that uh, and facing the challenge now of if, uh, if Thanksgiving does cause another leg up. Governor, thanks for joining us today and appreciate the detail about your distribution plan as well. My pleasure. Thanks very much for having me on. Happy Thanksgiving. Governor Pete Ricketts of Nebraska, and happy Thanksgiving to you as well. Coming up, Canada Goose getting a double downgrade to sell today in part because of the weather forecast. We've got those details with the shares down 7.5%. Plus, when you think squeaky clean, you generally don't think bathrooms. But one company is hoping to change that, especially in the age of COVID. That story is next. And don't forget, you can watch us live on the go using the CNBC app. We're back in a couple minutes. Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? The real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. Welcome back to The Exchange. Markets are taking a pause today after the strong run they've been on all month. The Dow was down 239 at the lows. Uh, it was up 12 points at the highs, and we're still down by about 158 right now. As you can see there, only a couple sectors are positive. Consumer discretionary, tech, uh, staples. That tells you about the NASDAQ leadership as well that we're seeing here. It's up 48 points, about four-tenths of a percent. Uh, the winners so far this month, energy, materials, those are your biggest laggards today. And here are some of the individual movers this hour. Shares of embattled EV startup Nikola are sharply lower after the CEO failed to reassure investors that GM won't pull out of its $2 billion deal with the company. That was on Mad Money last night. Either side can walk away if a deal isn't finalized by December 3rd. Nikola shares down 10%. Olive Garden parent Darden Restaurants is lower on a downgrade to neutral from buy at BTIG. They're citing valuation concerns and the COVID impact on the casual dining recovery. Darden off 2.5%. And take a look at copper. You can add this to the all-time high list along with housing and the market. Uh, copper is actually at its highest level since 2014. Uh, just a huge run that the uh, metal with a PhD, as they like to call it, for its sensitivity to recoveries has been on lately. Uh, again, a quarter percent gain today, but it's up more than 8% so far this month. Pretty strong rally. Let's get to Sue Herrera now for our CNBC News update. Hi, Sue. Hello, Kelly. Hello, everybody. Here's what's happening at this hour. Joe Biden's transition advisors say today the president-elect will get his first presidential national security daily briefing on Monday. And while they'd work something out if President Trump wants to speak with Biden, they do not think a conversation between the two is, quote, mission critical. 
Chinese President Xi Jinping is now the 15th world leader to publicly congratulate Biden, but a state-run newspaper suggests China may make some goodwill gestures to President Trump, such as inviting him to visit after he leaves office in a bid to fend off anti-China policies as his term is ending. University of Alabama football coach Nick Saban has, has mild symptoms after testing positive for COVID-19. And the tributes are coming in for Argentine soccer legend Diego Maradona, who has died of a heart attack at age 60. The country's president tweeted, quote, you took us to the top of the world. A spokesman for Napoli, his former club, says we feel like a boxer who has been knocked out. And from Brazil's Pele, certainly one day we will kick a ball together in the sky above. I'm sure many more tributes will be coming in, Cal. I'll send it back to you. See you next hour. All right, Sue, thank you. Sue Herrera back at headquarters. Well, one of the last places you want to be in a pandemic is a public bathroom. Not that it's ever high on your list, uh, but one company has made it its business to reduce risk there. Jane Wells joins us now with the details. Jane? Hi, Kelly. Yeah, you know, this year, uh, TSA is already saying we've got more than 4 million people coming through over Thanksgiving compared to 26 million over a 10-day period last year. So, look, a lot of people are still traveling, and airports are spending millions of dollars to make you feel safe, even in the bathroom. At airports like DFW, there is now one less thing you have to touch. When you walk into a typical restroom, you're going to see a line of stalls. So instead of looking under to see if somebody's there or peeking through the cracks, all passengers have to do now is look up and see the green light. The airport is spending a million dollars a year on its new smart restrooms. That includes tush lights, an overhead light system. Green means a stall is available. Latch the door and the light turns red. And so therefore you don't have to go and jiggle doors or touch doors or anything like that to try to figure out is this stall available. Though you still kind of have to touch the latch. Over three years, the system costs about $600 a door. DFW started the program before COVID to improve efficiency, but now it's become a health and safety tool. All of our soap dispensers, our uh, water dispensers, our paper towels are all touchless. There's also a strike force of over 100 employees to wipe down high-touch surfaces. And I think in the future you may see sanitization robots. I first met Tushlight's creator Alan Clevin six years ago as the product launched in venues like the Hollywood Bowl. But business has more than doubled this year to other airports like Seattle and a new world of customers dealing with COVID. The customers that we had never thought about that we're really seeing are elementary schools and middle schools. I've gotten really good at closing the latches with my elbows. Now, Tushlight's revenues this year are expected to be in the mid-single-digit millions. It's partnering with Sloan to manufacture enough product to meet demand. Meantime, Kelly, I'm told at DFW, the fourth busiest airport, uh, foot traffic in November is about two-thirds of what it was a year ago. And here at LAX, the second busiest, they're also remodeling. But starting today, if you fly in here from out of state, you have to go online and sign a form acknowledging LA's 14-day quarantine or pay a $500 fine. Back to you. Wow. Although it's not like they're, you know, calling to check up on people, right, Jane? I mean, you've been traveling around a fair bit the last couple months. Is it just kind of scouts honor in terms of, uh, you know, when, when, with all these states and their different quarantine procedures and that sort of thing? Uh, well, that's sort of, yes, for sure, uh, unless you go to Hawaii uh, on the Big Island where they will check up on you. But I have to say, I've been on 20 airplanes in the last two months. I haven't gotten COVID. 
they really have done a great effort in airports and on airplanes with filtration and signage and sanitation everywhere. And people do pretty much pay attention, although you see a lot of this, you know, under the nose business. But the only part where I get a little uncomfortable, Kelly, is when there's too many people in the jetway. I've, I've perfected the art of keeping my rollaway bag way behind me and standing more than six feet away from the person <laughs> in front of me. People tend to forget in the jetway, like, oh, six feet. Right. That counts, too. Exactly. You're trying to get somewhere. Jane, thanks so much. It's great to see you. We appreciate it. Jane Wells Happy on the state of play at the airports today. And happy Thanksgiving. Coming up, while the shift to online has been a huge driver to the upside for many retailers, it actually cut into Gap's profits. We have those details next with the stock getting hammered today. Plus, Amex users are hoarding their points. We'll tell you why and if it could impact the travel industry. And small caps are at all-time highs. And some of the biggest gainers in the group are also hedge fund favorites. We've got the names when we're back in a couple minutes. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back. Let's catch you up on a few stories that should be on your radar today. It is time for Rapid Fire. And here to break down the headlines are Dominic Chu, Kate Rooney, and Robert Frank. Welcome, everybody. First up is Slack. The Wall Street Journal and Reuters reporting that Salesforce recently approached Slack to buy the messaging service. Slack shares are soaring 21%. Salesforce down about 4%. I believe it's potentially an all-stock deal. And any deal would represent a Salesforce Dow member now, uh, its largest acquisition ever. It would put Slack's valuation somewhere north of its current market cap of $17 billion, Dom. And, I mean, this one's interesting because if you back up, the issue is that Slack has kind of missed the beat here on this pandemic year. You know, they're not Zoom. They don't have the video uh, services that have been so hot. And now they have Microsoft Teams to contend with. And they're a minnow and it's a whale. So, uh, you know, there's a lot at stake here. There is a lot at stake, and there's a reason why Slack shares have performed the way that they have since the highs that they saw back in June, the pandemic highs, if you will, for some of these work-from-home stocks. That, as you can see by the chart, has been in a downtrend ever since those June highs. And the reason why is, like you said, maybe they're not as capable of competing with the likes of, say, a Microsoft Teams. And by the way, Microsoft Teams does have that video functionality for many of their products as well. The issue is whether or not you can actually make this work for Salesforce. This actually does seem intuitively like a good acquisition for them because it does add to that kind of suite of workplace productivity that Salesforce has been known for with their acquisition of MuleSoft and everything else. This is something that could be very much a bolt-on acquisition that could function well for Salesforce as a product offering to its clients. So that's the reason why you're seeing that. But like you said, Salesforce has been down on this, but it's been a good run for them so far. Robert, what would you highlight? Yeah, look, as a former M&A reporter for the Wall Street Journal, I would highlight the wording of this article, which said, has recently held talks, not currently holding talks, or a deal could be as early as Monday. This seems to me sort of either the bankers for Salesforce or Slack saying it's for sale or we're exploring acquisitions. And I just wonder whether this is more of a trial balloon for either company to get a deal, and there's just so much M&A that could happen in software that I, I don't know that this deal is done per se just because of the tentative wording of that article. I love that, and I love parsing it for, for the same kind of uh, implications. Kate, uh, CEO of Slack, Stuart Butterfield, has been somewhat reluctant to sell, uh, as Robert's alluding to. Perhaps this is a, a change in attitude. 
It could be. And like Robert said, it's probably a signal in some way that it could be for sale. The takeaway for me is uh, watch out Microsoft. This is kind of a shot across the bow by Salesforce and could sort of hinder the growth there in Teams. Google is another competitor in cloud that you should watch. And analysts this morning are talking about more M&A and software Potential pressure on Google to make a similar deal. And as these valuations and multiples have just soared this year, you could see a lot of software M&A in 2021 if this story ends up being real. Yeah, a lot more uh, deal stories to parse through, perhaps. Uh, Again, uh, Slack shares are up 25 percent, and we'll see if this firms up in the next couple of days. In the meantime, it's a rough day for Gap after missing expectations for third quarter earnings. Uh, Gap, we're talking about the apparel company, beat on revenue, crushed same-store sales, and that was thanks to robust growth in the digital business. And here's where it gets interesting. That robust digital growth was actually Gap's problem. In order to keep up with the online sales search, their operating expenses were up 8%, and that's costing investors dearly today. The stock is down 19%, roughly at last check, almost 20%. Um, You know, and Dom, this is one of the companies we've talked about a lot as a turnaround candidate, potential benefactor from uh, the pandemic, allowing them to maybe raise prices a little bit, you know, not uh, be quite so... Uh, discount focus and, and maybe kind of show some surprising strength uh, coming out the other side of this. I think that's why it stings so much today. And, and, that, and it wasn't so long ago, Kelly, that we were talking about this notion that they were exploring the idea of kind of splitting off, right, the old Navy brand, focusing on some of the legacy brands that they've had. What it has been for Gap so far is this notion that they've been able to turn around many of these businesses, maybe not fully, but you've seen some strength in their flagship brand, also in Athleta, which is their kind of athleisure, yoga wear type line of things. But with, 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 what happening, with what's happening right now with their cost structure, it's not at all surprising that they are having this kind of an issue because we do expect these, these expenses to kind of go up. I, I'm not sure why Wall Street is punishing them as much as they are today. But let's not forget, this has been a decent turnaround story in the near to medium term for this. So maybe it's just not as optimistic enough, given what's happening with the outlook so far. Yeah. And we know, listen, after Best Buy yesterday, they talked about how costs are a problem. Shares are down 6% on very strong results. Gap today, costs, again, a problem. They're down 20%. I mean, this is going to be the place to watch in the coming weeks, something to think about during this holiday sales boom. Canada Goose uh, also down today, but for a different reason. Uh, Let's talk about that for a moment. That's the luxury retailer. Of course, makes those jackets with the red, what is it? uh, Anyway, the red patch, you know, from the red circle patch. Uh, Double downgrade from BTIG today, straight from a buy to a sell. The firm lowering its price target sees 30% downside from here because of an unseasonably warm winter and lockdowns in major fashion hubs in the U.S. and Europe. Uh, this quarter represents all of the company's earnings. Uh, so, Kate, it's p- pretty alarming. I mean, the shares are down on the downgrade about about 7.5%, still up 175% from their 52-week low. Listen, I, I'm encouraged by the warm weather forecast, but if you get all your earnings in this quarter and you've got lockdowns and, and it's warmer than normal, problem for the goose. Really weather dependent. And the other thing we point out is that Google search trend data, that people are searching for Canada Goose a little bit less. You know, you're not thinking about that cold weather ski trip you might be taking. Uh, they've also had to deal with things um, like knockoffs and, and people, you know, having fake versions of the same coat. I think there's a lot of headwinds. But the Google search trend stuff is so interesting. You know, if people aren't Googling that, what does it mean for sales in the upcoming quarter? So we'll, we'll see. Yeah, and Dom, it's also, Canada Goose is one of the beneficiaries from China exposure. 
So as China has recovered faster than expected, doing reasonably well, we're seeing it power the results of so many of these other companies, but not here. Well, it's, it's because of the weather in China, right? Be, because they're, they're having a, an unusually warm winter as well over in China, so people aren't turning as much to Canada Goose. What I thought was funny about this particular story is you juxtapose that to the earlier interview we saw with L.L. Bean's CEO on Squawk on the Street today, where they said that snowshoe sales are trending 340% more than they were at the same time last year. <laughs> so maybe it's not all weather. You would think that outerwear of this type, maybe it's a specific area of weakness, People do want to get outside even when it's cold, even when it's snowing, even when it's winter, because it's COVID friendly. So I, this is a tough one to kind of figure out for right now on Canada Goose as well. That's a great point. That, I, I did. I snowshoed once. It was a it was a lot of fun. Um, but there's not enough snow around here to, to make that viable. At least I don't I don't think there is. Uh, let's talk about people hoarding their credit card points, because Amex today is noting that despite now offering rewards on pandemic purchases like groceries, Customers just don't want to use them that way. Instead, people are stockpiling their points to use for post-pandemic travel. Uh, Ms. Rooney, is there a risk to letting them pile up like this? There is a risk. I was talking to a couple analysts that said if you hang out at those points for too long, there is a risk that they could devalue, that uh, the hotels and airlines, which are struggling, could change the way that they do points, which they've done in the past. The airlines changed the whole point structure to go from points to dollars, and it can be confusing. So it's not a sure thing that your points are going to be worth the same amount. And I think this is a uniquely Amex story. That customer tends to be more affluent. They might not see the need to spend those points on things like Amazon or holiday shopping. They might not be as crunched for cash. They're still willing to pay that $550 fee to keep the card. But the takeaway for Amex is that they do hope to see travel rebound. They say, uh, the CFO says at least that people have an insatiable need to travel, that they're, they're going to see a boom, which is sort of talking Amex's book. They would love to see travel recover. They saw that travel and entertainment spending right. fall about 70 percent in the third quarter. So interesting story for sure. Robert, what would you say? Yeah, I mean, I'm surprised at how many people just use their points for travel. I've used my points for everything but travel. I use them to buy a lot of Apple products. Uh, but but I, I do think people are just waiting to when they can travel to use these points. And, and there are a lot of points that are building up. And I think once we start to see the vaccine roll out, I think people are going to start booking those summer and fall holidays very quickly. Yeah, it gives you something to look forward to. And speaking of travel, Blade is offering what is believed to be the first fully tested commercial flight uh, for COVID safety. Before boarding, a nurse will administer rapid tests to every passenger whose blood oxygen levels and temperatures will be monitored from takeoff to touchdown. If it all seems impossible, Blade is retrofitting enormous commercial pl planes for a grand total of just 16 passengers. Robert, how much does this cost? And is this effectively just a jumbo private jet or what do we mean by this? Is this commercially available? Yeah, that, that's a great way of putting it. Jumbo private jet is kind of what it is. And it's it's New York, Miami and it's New York, Aspen. So those are the big wealth corridors. And basically you go to a dedicated blade terminal. So you're not having to go to a crowded airport like Jane Wells has had to talk about. And then you're tested and then you're allowed into the lounge and then you're allowed onto the flight. So everyone next to you in this small private terminal has tested negative. Same on the plane, cabin crew, pilots, everything else. And then when you land, you go to also a dedicated terminal in Aspen or Miami and then onto a Blade SUV, which has also been all tested and sterilized. So end to end, 
It is a sterile, fully tested environment. And look, it sounds expensive, $22.50 one way to Miami, $37.50 to Aspen. But a lot of people are, are putting their parents on these planes because it's a lot cheaper than flying private. One private jet to Miami is like $20,000. So it's a lot less than that. But you know if you're putting your mom and dad on that plane from Florida to New York or vice versa, that they're going to be not fully safe, but much safer than just flying commercial. Yeah, although, Dom, I thought it was encouraging that Jane said she's been on plane 20 times in the past month and hasn't gotten COVID. I mean, here's the thing. I'd love to see whether or not this actually works and gets traction because it's a $4,500 round trip to Miami. Again, that's not, I guess, massive if you're a first-class flyer, but, but I'd love to see if this actually works. Maybe they can scale it at a different price point for more people to go and do it. I, I'm definitely curious here. Yeah, Dom, and just, right, just well, to, to way, wrap it up, badge. it is sold out, sold out for the next three 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 weeks to Miami and sold out for Aspen. So it's running through April, but at least for the next month, they're pretty well sold out already. So there is demand. Well, thank you all. That does it for rapid fire today. And I was just going to say that badge on the Canada goose jacket is an upside down North Pole, in case you were wondering. Thanks to my producer, Maria, for that. Dom Chu, Kate Rooney, and Robert Frank. We've got a news alert to get to on Amazon. Deirdre Bosa here with those details. What's going on, Deirdre? Kelly, AWS has been seeing a widespread outage for over an hour. AWS, of course, is Amazon's massive cloud business that powers many companies, websites, and operations at large. Companies in impacted include NYC Transit, Sirius XM Radio, Ring, and Adobe Cloud. The list, though, Kelly, is long and growing the longer that this outage lasts. For some, though, like Roku, which is also affected, operations, they're still running like streaming, but they may be delayed. An AWS spokesperson tells us, quote, Kinesis has been experiencing increased error rates this morning in our U.S. East One region that has impacted some of its own AWS services. They're working towards a resolution, and we will certainly bring you any developments as we get them. Back to you. But Deirdre, just to clarify, because you showed, for example, a, a transit uh, uh, customer there. I mean, are we talking about this disrupting travel or is this more of a back office issue? Yeah, it's unclear at the moment, but it does look like for many of these companies, it's more of a back office issue. So as the consumer or user, you may not necessarily see it. I'm not sure what the case is specifically for NYC Transit, but you can imagine that heading into a holiday weekend, this would not be good news. Um, but these outages are not completely uncommon. They're usually resolved fairly quickly, but this has been going on for an over, over an hour. Wow, and getting worse, uh, like you said, as it does. Wow, okay. Deirdre, thank you. Deirdre Bosa. Take a quick break. Coming up, the Dow may be getting all the attention, hitting 30,000, but the small caps have had a historic rally of their own. A closer look at how investors can play that after this quick break. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back. It's been a great month for the small caps with the Russell 2000 hitting an all-time high. It's up more than 18% on pace for its best month ever. And a bunch of the outperformers are also hedge fund favorites. Here are some of the names, courtesy of RBC. Sunrun was by far the most favored small cap, the stock surging more than 380% this year, including a 746 rebound off the lows, 760% there almost. Caesars Entertainment is up 565% this month. And it's up more than a thousand percent from its lows. And finally, Amicus Therapeutics ticker fold. The biotech company developed.
Consult's medicine for rare metabolic diseases. It's up 265% off of its lows. There are a total of 20 names on this list. You can see the rest of them along with analysis over at CNBC.com slash pro. Still ahead, what one, sm- uh, one mall owner is doing to keep people out of his malls this holiday season. We'll explain straight ahead. Stay with us. Welcome back. As the holidays loom, people are still shopping in stores and malls, but in a different way this year. For more, I'm joined by Nate Forbes. He's the president and managing partner of the Forbes company. Nate, it's good to see you again. Uh, are we talking about pickup? What's, uh, what's different? You know, there's a lot of things, Kelly, that we're trying to introduce this holiday season. One of them is collection to the car, where we're offering service from the retailers to your car, where if that's comfortable for you, that's the service we're going to provide also from our stores to your doors, free delivery from any one of our shopping centers to within 60 miles wow. of the shopping center, we will deliver free of, free of charge. Wait a minute. So you're telling me that if I live, and your malls are in Florida, right? Correct me if I'm wrong. So if I live within right. about an hour's drive of your mall, I can pick anything I want from the store? Who's, who's paying correct. for that delivery charge? There's no charge. We are offering this service to our customers and our guests. We're in a very difficult time. We are doing everything we can to make that purchase from our brick-and-mortar retail stores as seamless as possible, and we want to provide as much service to our loyal customers and guests as we can. Right. But my point, Nate, is because we all know there's no free lunch. Is this something that you as the mall operator are kind of taking the cost for in order to to help your stores. And I mean, that, that seems like a huge benefit. Um, I'm wondering about the uptake and kind of the way that foot traffic looks in general at the malls. And if, if you even want people to kind of come in person, or if you would prefer that they do it this way, even if it costs you, we were just talking about this with the Gap and other companies, you know, these near-term costs to kind of keep going, you know, is that worth it for the long run? I think it is, Kelly. I think the, listen, we're trying to figure this out as we go. We're at a period of time and we're trying to offer a safe environment for the guests that attend the shopping center and want to visit the shopping center. It's holiday tradition. It's the shopping selling season, which is very important for our brick-and-mortar retailers. And we're trying to provide as much tradition as we can, but also a much higher level of service to our guests that they might not be used to in the past. So we want them to think of Somerset and Mall of Millennia and Waterside Shops in Naples and Palm Beach Gardens when they think of their shopping destination of choice and however they want to get yeah. those goods and services, we want to provide it to them in the best, most seamless way possible. One final quick question, Nate, because I note here you say that retailers are requesting shorter hours because they can't find enough workers. Is that because workers are afraid of COVID, afraid of catching COVID? Well, I think, you know, listen, everybody's been experimenting with what works in terms of a service level and a number of hours, shift A, shift B. If shift A goes down, they revert to shift B. So we are going on shorter hours, 11 to 7, but we will extend those hours during the key shopping days of the holiday season, Black Friday and the week after and then the week before Christmas. So it's going to be a very varied hour schedule, and uh, it's going to just change Mm -hmm. depending on what we hear back from our stores And we've done a lot of that work up front to know what they're able to provide and what they're able not to provide. Yeah. It's fascinating. Uh, Really very curious to see how this all uh, turns out. People utilize it. And you say collecting 80, 85% of rent versus 19% in April. So, again, 
moving towards recovery. Nate, thanks for joining us. Good to see you again. Nate Forbes Thank you, Kelly. of the Forbes Thank Company. You. That does it for the exchange today, but stick around for Power Lunch. We're just moments away from the Fed Minutes, plus NBA star and VC investor Andre Iguodala. He'll talk free agency, college hoops, some of his stock moves. I'll see you for that with Tyler Matheson in just a moment. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.